Saints, would you please turn to Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11 and verse 14. We will consider the remaining verses of the 11th chapter this morning with God's help. Saints, please give your full attention to this, for this is God's holy inspired word. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God, the Almighty, who are and who were, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. And the nations were enraged. And your wrath came and the time came for the dead to be judged and the time to reward your bondservants, the prophets and the saints and those who fear your name, the small and the great, and to destroy those who destroy the earth. The temple of God, which is in heaven, was opened and the ark of his covenant appeared in his temple and there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder and an earthquake and a great hailstorm. This is God's holy inspired word. May God add a blessing to the reading of it. Let us now pray that God would bless the preaching of his word. Pray with me if you would. Dear Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray now that you would bless the preaching of your word. Lord, that you would give us through your word ears to hear, eyes to see, minds that understand, and hearts that believe. I decrease that you may increase, be glorified in Christ, and we pray. Amen. Please be seated, saints. Well, good morning, saints. I greet you once more in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I do welcome you once again on this Lord's Day Sabbath as we continue our study through the apocalypse of John, the book of Revelation. We come now to the remaining verses of the 11th chapter. Wherein the highly anticipated blast of the seventh trumpet is blown. The sixth trumpet has blown. Brothers and sisters, we are living in the midst of the happenings of the sixth trumpet. We're not waiting for the sixth trumpet to blow. It has blown. We are in the midst of all of its happenings. All of the contents of the sixth trumpet are upon us. Those demonic forces from the four corners of the earth. Those demonic forces that were frothing at the mouth, filled with a desire to deceive and to destroy unto death. They are currently unleashed. They are currently in the world. The sovereign Lord God Almighty has allowed. That's important to remember The sovereign Lord God Almighty has allowed these demonic forces to sting mankind as a viper or as a scorpion with the venom of deception. And they are allowed to be deceived unto death. 
those who have been stung by deception, who rage against God, who wrath, as it were, against God, they will rage against God in their deception unto death. They have the mark of the beast, which we'll get to uh, soon. But those who have been measured, those who have been sealed by God and His Spirit, they are protected from the evil one. Those measured, those sealed, they are the ones that I pray by faith that I am looking at this morning, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are measured in His temple. You are sealed by His Spirit. You are the bride of Christ. You shall not be lost if your faith is in Christ. You are the temple of God. You are before His altar. His presence will always be with you. We offer our bodies there before the altar as living sacrifices. We, the church, the temple of God, we refuse to be conformed to the ethos of this world. But we, because we are sealed by the Holy Spirit, we are being transformed. Our minds are being transformed. Our hearts are being transformed, proving the good and acceptable will of God. And because we have been promised, God's presence is with us, in us, with us, conforming us. We are therefore emboldened to be faithful witnesses on behalf of Christ. God is with us. God is in us. He has given us authority to go and to be faithful witnesses on His behalf. Therefore, we are emboldened to be faithful witnesses. We are well aware, aren't we? That the holy temple, that the holy city, I should say, will be trampled underfoot. We are well aware that our bodies have not been promised protection in this life. But we know that our souls cannot be lost. We just sang it, didn't we? That we shall not be lost. He will hold us fast in our souls. Therefore, there is a type of invincibility with us, the church. We say along with the Apostle Paul in Acts 20 and verse 24, I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself. I won't preserve myself if it means not sharing the gospel. So that I may finish my course and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus Christ to testify solemnly of the gospel of God's grace. We must speak. We cannot but speak. If speaking on behalf of Christ means that we lose our life, then we lose our life. Those who trust in Christ, we do not search out death irresponsibly, do we? We don't have a death wish, do we? But we also do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. We say with the Apostle Paul again, For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And Christ has given His bride authority to be His witnesses. We are therefore His hands, and we are His feet. We are His helpmate. We are His laborers. That He is sending out to gather the harvest, those who will see, hear, and believe. We are His His ones that He has sent out. We are His, as one brother said to me last week, we are His heavenly lawyers sent out as two witnesses calling men to confess their sin against God's holy law, to repent and to turn to Christ. We are sent as prophets 
calling all men to repent of their sin and to turn to Christ. We are the faithful witnesses. But Christ is the faithful witness and we follow His example. Christ lived, He died, and gave His life as a sacrificial death and as a substitutionary atonement for our sin. And we testify to this. We testify faithfully to the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ. We've been, we have been given authority to speak. If men refuse to repent, fire comes from our mouths, doesn't it? Not literally, but the message of judgment for those who will not repent of their sin and turn to God. The message of the gospel is not turn or burn. No, that's not the gospel. That's what will happen to those who do not embrace the gospel. The gospel is the good news, children. Gospel means good news. It is the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a simple, simple thing to remember. What is the gospel? It's good news. Good news about what? Good news about Jesus. He is the God-man who has assumed our flesh to heal our flesh. The, the God-man, the Son of God, who assumed our nature to redeem our nature. Man, made in the image of God, has marred the image of God with our sin. But God the Son has assumed our flesh to recover and to restore His image in fallen man. The good news is that we can escape the due penalty for our sin by turning to Christ. Children, how can you escape God's judgment? Turn to Christ. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's not just for young people. That's for old people, for middle-aged people, for all who have ears to hear. How can you escape the judgment that is coming? We are in the midst of the sixth trumpet. How can we escape the judgment coming in the seventh trumpet? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Kiss the Son, lest you face His wrath. The blood of Jesus. As the old would say, it washes away our sin. Oh, the blood of Jesus washes away the stain of sin, does it not? The infinite value of Christ removes the scarlet stain of sin and makes all who trust in Him purified, holy, and blameless as Christ is pure, holy, and blameless. The good news is this. Repent of your sin, believe in Christ, and you will be saved. But if you do not, judgment awaits those who resist the grace of God. The world opposes the message of the church. The nations rage, the psalmist says, against God. They rage against the message of the church. They, they rage against the message of repentance and faith. Pastor Isaiah mentioned either last week or a week ago, two weeks ago, that calling men to repent of their sins, calling men to turn to Christ, it's not hate speech, it's love speech. It is the most loving thing that you could ever say to anyone. If you turn from your sin, you will be saved. There is no more loving thing that you could ever say to anyone that you know who is right now currently walking in sin. There is no more loving thing. It may seem offensive. It's because hearts are hardened. Then this, turn to Christ and if you do, you will be saved. We speak. We testify. 
We proclaim, we prophesy, we do all of these things because there will come a time, brothers and sisters, when our message will cease. There will come a time when there will be no more testimony from the church. There will come a time when we will have no more witnessing to give, no more testimony to offer. It will be complete. There will come a day when we will have no more words for the unbeliever. The beast, the final antichrist, the antichrist of antichrist, the final one, will make his final attempt to destroy the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll talk more about the antichrist soon. I'm sure that we are all very intrigued about this idea. But understand this, the apostle John said the spirit of antichrist is already in the world. Many antichrists have arisen from Nero onward. There have been many who have sought to destroy the Lord Jesus Christ and His church. The spirit of antichrist is all those who deny the deity and the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know those who, who you know and love who outright reject Christ, His deity, His person and His work, His ability to save the spirit of Antichrist is within them. I know for many of us, we have been raised to believe that it's going to be just, and it will in in one sense, one figure. But the spirit within that one figure is in all of those who are a part of His wicked nation. They will join the beast. They will join their father, the devil, in his wicked desire to silence the prophets. I didn't mention this last week, whose body, singular, will will lay in the street. For those who who still think this is two witnesses, uh, John in Revelation sees just one body, though, laying in the street. What body could that be but the body of Christ? And what body could that be that was raised that all of the wicked will see but the body of Christ. The church shall be raised to new life. We shall be resurrected as Christ was resurrected. And all the world will see. All the world will know that what we prophesied, what we witnessed, is true. They will have no other choice but to give Him glory. Just as the wicked nations, the wicked nation rejoices... God will vindicate His bride just as He vindicated Christ. He will call her, you and I, into heaven and He will pour out at the same time judgment upon the wicked. Those who have trampled on the holy city. As we conclude this 11th chapter, the seventh trumpet will be blown. We will see what we have been waiting for, I should say. Since the sixth trumpet blew in, in the ninth chapter, we've been, since the ninth chapter, we have been considering the, the sixth trumpet. Now here we finally in the, in the eleventh chapter see the final salvation of the righteous. And we still wait, don't we? For what we read here in the seventh trumpet blown to be a reality for us who wait upon and trust upon Christ. 
We are those sealed, measured within his temple, emboldened because we have been given authority to prophesy to people, nations, tongues, and kings concerning the good news of Christ. We are called to be faithful witnesses as we wait for the seventh trumpet to blow. Just as God brought down the walls of Jericho, so now the seventh trumpet of heaven will bring the walls of Babylon here down. And we will rejoice in our own exodus into the promised land, the heavenly city above that will be brought to this earth. Our sojourning will end. Christ will bring a final defeat to his foes and all of ours. Now, after that long introduction, let us consider the remaining verses of the 11th chapter, which is two points this morning. Number one, two kingdoms, two nations, only one will stand. Two kingdoms, two nations, only one will stand. This is verses 14 through 17. You will remember at the end of the 8th chapter, the eagle, or vulture, however it can be um, translated, flew above and announced three final woes to come. And John declares in verse 14, the second woe is past. We are living in the midst of the second woe. The third, behold, the third woe is coming quickly. That may seem like something that could pass by our ears very simply, but there's something very important there. That is this. At the conclusion of the sixth trumpet, the conclusion of the, of the second woe, there will be no delay for the third woe and seventh trumpet. Meaning this, we must not anticipate that God will delay his salvation and judgment when the time of salvation and judgment have come. When this, um, when all that is found within the sixth trumpet ends, we must not think, now there will be a long delay before the seventh trumpet ends, or, or is blown. No. When the sixth trumpet ends, and all of that is, all of the woe contained within is complete, God's salvation and His judgment will come immediately, in the twinkling of an eye. Which is why the next verse in chapter, in the next verse gives us more insight, or gives no more insight to the suffering of the church. When we come to the 15th verse, there is no more suffering. All is complete. Verse 15. And listen, listen to the, the lack of plurality, plurality here. The kingdom, singular, of the world has become the kingdom, singular, of our Lord and of His Christ. And He will reign forever and ever. In the beginning verses of the 11th chapter, we have been given redemption or been given a redemptive history from the vantage point of earth. We are seeing all things from an earthly perspective. The spiritual protection of the church while they are on earth. The deception of the ju and judgment of the wicked while they are on earth until the final return of Christ. But what we see here now is a heavenly perspective. Meaning this, in the, in the beginning of the 11th chapter, we've been seeing what the church will endure here on earth. When we come to the end of the 11th chapter, we see what God will complete or bring to an end from heaven to earth. Causing earth, those who are on earth, the, the, the righteous, 
to be joined up with him in heaven. The heavenly and earthly perspective, it's consistent throughout all of Revelation. In chapter 1, John is caught up, as it were, into heaven, shown uh, by way of symbols things concerning the last days here on earth, but giving us a heavenly perspective while we face the things that are on earth. Christ comforts his church, the seven churches, addressing their earthly sorrow. He knows what they are experiencing, but calling them to shift their eyes heavenward. Where the triune God reigns, even over earthly sorrow. It's back and forth. God in heaven is addressing us. He shows us that He knows our suffering. He, he knows our trials. But in the midst of our trials, gives us a heavenly perspective so that we would not lose hope. In the visions of the seals, the trumpets, and later the bowls, we are given these heavenly and then earthly perspectives from God's throne. We are called to consider the rule and reign of God from His vantage point in heaven, where He rules and reigns. It can be very easy to lose sight of the fact that God is ruling and God is reigning. Your body tells you something different this morning, doesn't it, when you wake up? Your finances tell you something different. The things going on in your home tell you something different. The things going on in the world sometimes tell you something different. But God is reminding us in His Word that He is ruling, that He is reigning from His throne. In spite of the way things look, and in spite of the way that you sometimes, and I feel, God is ruling and reigning over all of creation. Shift your eyes heavenward. In the seventh seal, in the seventh trumpet, in the seventh bowl, God is calling our attention to heaven. In chapter 8, in verse 1, the sixth seal was open, and there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. In Revelation 16, 17, a loud voice from God's throne declares, It is done! And here, as the seventh and final trumpet is blown, listen to this, loud heavenly voices proclaim the one kingdom that now reigns forever and ever, the kingdom of God. Who are these voices in heaven? In the seventh chapter, after the seventh seal is broken, John hears, does not see, but hears a symbolic number, 12,000 times 12, 144,000, symbolizing what? All of God's elect. All of the people of God who have been gathered from the time of Adam until the time that Christ returns. All of the people of God. And when John is given eyes to behold that number that he hears, it's a great multitude that no one could ever count. He hears a number. It's the complete number. And then sees a number that no one could ever count. Uh, more, as God said to Abraham, more than the sands of the seashore and more than the stars in the sky. They are the people of God. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ from every nation, tribe, people, tongue, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And what are they doing in Revelation 7? They are crying out with a loud voice. With a loud voice they are crying out, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And now here in the 11th chapter, the seventh trumpet has sounded and there are, once again, loud voices. And oh, if you could just imagine for one moment the, the, the immensity of the church of all time shouting out with a loud voice as, as you and I, 
you can, here's, a, here's a, an old school moment for you. You could look at your neighbor and say, you will be there. Your voice will be among them. Here is where they are shouting out, the kingdom of the world has begun, become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He will reign forever and ever. Saints, you will be among the voices that are shouting out with a loud voice. God is telling you what you will say. Imagine you being among the multitude that no one can count and you are crying out, there is but one kingdom now, the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ. You will be there. I will be there. I'm going to elbow one of you and say to you when we're there, I told you that we would be here. I said something last week that, that I was not anticipating in preparation for this sermon. But I now realize that it was providential and praise God for the things that are given in moments that we do not plan when we preach. What was said was there are only two kingdoms. You may remember this last week. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. Or there are only two nations. A holy nation and a wicked nation. The context of that statement that I made last week was when John saw in the church being opposed mystical nations. That word mystical could also be translated symbolic nations. He says in verse 8, And their dead bodies, the bodies of the church, will lie in the streets of the great city. If you're taking notes, circle great city, that's important, which mystically or symbolically is called Sodom and Egypt, and then circle this part, where also their Lord was crucified. Now, follow me. These cities, Sodom, what is Sodom mostly known for? Well, sodomy and, and absolute wickedness, right? Uh, what is Egypt known for? Well, oppression. Oppression upon the righteous. And where, pray tell, where was the Lord of the witnesses crucified? In what city? Jerusalem. Jerusalem is therefore named as one of the cities that oppose Christ. Jerusalem, the so-called holy city, is named by John in the book of Revelation as one of those cities that has the spirit of Antichrist. For those of us who have refrigerator magnets of Jerusalem, thinking that it is somehow some holy place, John says, no spirit of Antichrist is there. Imagine Jerusalem, the place considered to be the holy city, being among the cities that reject the righteousness of the righteous one, Jesus Christ. Jerusalem named um, along with Sodom and Egypt as wicked. Is every person in those cities? No. But as was said to me, there is a predominant um, spirit of opposition in those places against Christ and His church. Jerusalem is named among Babylon, the harlot. How could this be? You remember our Lord looking over Jerusalem in Matthew 23 saying, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who have been sent to you. How often I have wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks, chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. The testimony of the faithful witness, Jesus Christ, 
is that Jerusalem has joined the kingdom of the world. Jerusalem has joined Sodom. It's joined Egypt. It's joined Babylon. It's joined Rome. And all the other nations. But notice that John does not see kingdoms of the world. But John sees a singular kingdom that is conquered or swallowed up by another kingdom. The kingdom of our Lord and His Christ. Perhaps the more provocative statement from last week was this. That there is no such thing as a wicked Iran. Or a wicked China. No matter what some presidents may say. Or a wicked holy... or. or or on the opposite end, a holy America. No matter how many people want to say that America was established by Christians, all of them? All of them righteous? Or a holy England? I praise God for maybe the opportunity to elaborate on that thought. I shared it this morning in Sabbath school. In order for a nation to be completely wicked, everyone in the nation must be wicked. Every single person. In spite of their leadership, they must be wicked. Every one of them. Similarly, in order for a nation to be completely righteous, every single person must be in Christ. Not just their leader. Brother Scott answered it this morning. Are there any? Are there any nations that are wholly wicked and wholly righteous, holy, holy. Is there any, any, any in the world? Answer is yes. All those who have confessed their sin, repented, turned to Christ and trusted in his perfect righteousness, the son of God, Jesus Christ, they are the holy and blameless nation without reproach. So is there a holy nation in the world that is uh, truly holy? The answer is yes, it is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. They are the one nation that is holy. And they are all over the world. They are not just in one country. Peter calls the church a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a a holy nation. A people for God's own possession. So that you, we, may proclaim the excellencies of him who brought you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Which nation is this holy nation. It's not America, no. Not England, no. Not uh, whatever other country you might think of. It's the church. And whoever could the wicked nation be? This kingdom of the world that has been overthrown once and for all, swallowed up by the kingdom of God. Who in the world could this wicked nation be? China? Russia? They have a king. This nation. It's the king of the abyss. Revelation 9-11. He rules the dominion of darkness. Jesus said that he has children. God said in Genesis 3 and 15. They are offspring of the serpent. Who oppose the seed of the woman. It's the kingdom of darkness. It's the nation of wickedness. There are nations, as was said to me last week, who have an overwhelming presence of evil. But there is one beast that arises from the sea who embodies all of them. There is one beast who arises from the sea who embodies all of the evil empires. 
for they are under his reign. The Roman Empire, the monarchies of Europe, Nazi Germany, communist regimes, Russia and China, and the pleasure-seeking humanistic, hedonistic societies of America and beyond. They are under his rule when they seek to glorify themselves and not God. When they rage against God, when they wrath against God, they show whom they belong to, what nation they are a part of. When Christ returns, the kingdom of this world will yield to the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ once and for all. The kingdom of the Lord, it begins at His resurrection. And there have been two contesting kingdoms contending for the souls of men. When Christ rose from the dead, he ensured that the kingdom, the kingdom of God, will last forever and ever. And that his reign will have no end. Hostility, opposition to the kingdom of Christ, it may cause us to doubt. Will his kingdom be established? It often appears as though evil thrives while the wicked and, and, and the wicked prosper. While we, the church, are downtrodden. But dear saints of God, you holy nation, you royal priesthood, you kings before God and queens before God, the seven trumpet powerfully announces to you and to I here and now while we are in the midst of the sixth trumpet announces to us that Christ will defeat the kingdom of darkness and bring every knee to bow before Him and to Him alone who reigns alone. All, all of history. Imagine that all of history even us what we're doing today. Yes! All of history is marching forward toward that glorious day. All of history. And we must not, while we are here, lose sight of that glorious day for you, holy nation. It can be very easy, can it? To be distracted, to lose hope. The cares and concerns of this world often choke our eternal hope. When was the last time throughout your week as you're driving that you thought the, tr- the seventh trumpet will blow at any moment? Those who first received this letter, this book, They gave it all away. They lived like He's coming at any moment. Do you? Do I? Worldly pursuits can often cloud our vision of what we are, who we are, and ultimately why we are here. The writer of the Hebrew says, looking, not look, but looking as a continuous thing that we must do, looking unto Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. It's, a, it's an ongoing thing that we must do continuously, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God on throne. Christ endured, looking unto the glory set before him, All opposition, all betrayal, all suffering, all persecution because of what was before him. Why does that matter to you and me? 
Consider him then who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. Consider what he endured. What does it have to do with me? So that you may not grow weary. So that you may not grow faint-hearted. Isn't it easy to grow weary? To become faint-hearted means, I think I've had enough. Consider Christ, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Now consider you. There was a joy set before you. Endure. Press on. Do not grow weary. The Lord's day comes. Do I really want to get up? You better get up. There's a joy set before you. Difficulty comes throughout the re- throughout your week. Or is it the kingdom of our triune God? John, inspired by the Holy Spirit, makes it clear that there is a unity between the divine persons who rule and reign forever. The kingdom of our Lord, the Father, and His Christ, the Son, then singular, and He, He will reign forever. There's no division between the divine persons. When the Father rules, the Son rules. When the Son rules, the Spirit rules. We confess the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are of one substance, power, and eternity, each having the whole divine essence, and that essence is undivided. All of heaven proclaims, He, all of we proclaim, He will reign forever. The seven churches persecuted under the kingdom of this world as the church is today. We will soon be given rest. Rest from all opposition when Christ returns and puts an end to all evil. Don't you look forward to your days of rest? Uh, Pastor Isaiah is on vacation right now. I, I, I have meant to text him. It's never long enough, is it? It's never long. Uh, my brother and sister were just on vacation recently. It's never long enough, is it? It should cause you to long for one that is never ending. This is short, but I'm, I am marching forward to one that will never end. Amen. To God be the glory. G.K. Beale says in, this, in, in ending this final point, now you know why we only have two, that the final judgment involves a universally decisive defeat of all forces antagonistic to Christ, resulting in eternal safety, eternal security, and eternal blessing from God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I said a few weeks ago, the prosperity gospel is false here on earth, but it's true in heaven. But it's true in heaven. No wonder why there is an eruption in heaven. Why there is a shout of praise for our Christ, the King, the prophet, and the priest who will reign forever. It's no wonder why there is, it's no wonder why we will shout 
like no other shout has ever been shouted before. Number two, and close, and finally, the celebration of God's kingdom. This is verses 17 through 19. Loud voices in heaven, they, they celebrate the consummation of the kingdom of God as we come to the final verses. The identity of the loud voices is identified once again. They are the, the, the 24 elders who surround the throne. You remember the 24 elders. They are meant to represent not the 12 uh, tribes nor the 12 apostles, although they could, but but probably more um, more likely, they are to represent the church of all time. The people of God for all time. They are meant to represent all those who have placed their faith in Christ. They are clothed in white. They have been made holy, enthroned in heaven. They share in the reign of Christ. They, they fall on their faces and worship God. There's a shout. And there is a, a prostrate, prostrating themselves before God. They highly esteem, they worship, they highly esteem, they highly value. Remember we talked about that, what is worship? They highly esteem, they highly value the one who is of infinite value. The one who is infinitely worthy of esteem. Saying thanks to the Almighty. Because you have taken your great power and you have, listen to this word, begun to reign. Notice, the saints worship the one who is and who was. What's missing? Huh? You, you know the threefold saying, don't we? Of the divine name, the one who is, the one who was, and the one who is to come. But here, in this final trumpet, the, the third phrase, who is to come, it's omitted. Why? Because He's not coming. He has come. The return of Christ has been realized. Faith that hopes in Christ and His return has become reality. That which we hope for has become sight. Pastor Isaiah recently mentioned that, that in heaven there will be no need for faith nor hope. Faith is that which you believe. Hope is that which you are looking forward to. You won't need to believe in it any longer or hope for it. It will be realized. You will be in the glory that you have anticipated. And you will be there forever. It's hard for us to wrap our, our, our souls around that, isn't it? We, we, we can only fathom here and now. We can only fathom the alarm going off and, and the time that we're setting it to go back to bed. We can only fathom what we're going to eat today. What meal do I, am I going to give my kids that they are not sick of today, right? They can eat Kraft, mac and cheese, only so much. We can become so consumed with just today. The persons that we know or and don't like at work are the persons that we know that we need to witness to at work. The drive that we need to take. The, 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 the cost of gas. Will we be able to make rent or mortgage this month? All of these things become all that consumes us. And we can't fathom having a heavenly perspective that says our faith and hope will be realized and these things that we give so much of ourselves to will be no more. We will see with our eyes what we have only been given faith to believe and hope for 
it will become sight. We shall see him. We shall be as he is. Your and my wrestling with sin and temptation will be no more. We shall be in his presence. And sin will be no more. Death will be no more. The presence of sin and death will be no more. That's the meaning of, the, of heaven being open and the ark of the covenant in this temple. We are, be, we will be forever in his presence. We will be his people. He shall be our God. We will be there. He will make his home among us. And evil will be vanquished once and for all. We won't have, we, as we often, we won't have discussions around the, the, the water cooler, as it were, about how bad the world is. Can you believe this law got passed? Can you believe this law didn't get passed? There's an unbeliever in my family. I just, I can't get through to them. Imagine not having one conversation like that ever again. Jeremiah says, foresees a world in which there will be no need to call one another to know the Lord because everyone will know the Lord. Imagine living in a world where you will not tell your neighbor, turn to Christ and live. He will say, I already did. So did my neighbor too. Don't bother. You see where we are. This is glory. Never again. We will all know the Lord. Listen to this. From the least to the greatest. There was something that I saw here in in, in verse, yes. <clears throat> okay, we're going to get to that in just a moment. I want to make sure I didn't miss that. The saints declare, you have taken your power, and listen to this phrase, and have begun. See that word, begun? It, it's something that's, it, it's a new something to reign. Now let me ask you this. Hasn't God always been reigning? Well, then why would the saints in heaven say that you and I one day would declare that God is, is in beginning to reign? Hasn't God always been reigning? Yes. God is taking his power and he's reigning. It, it's, it's in a different way though. It's in a completed action with permanence, everlasting effects. In the blowing of the seventh trumpet, God will break into the world by ending and overthrowing all opposition to him. And to his kingdom. Setting up the one and only kingdom for eternity. This, this beginning to reign means this. You are reigning and not allowing any other nations to survive. It's a new way of reigning over all nations. God is reigning now, yes. But he is reigning in a way that he is allowing evil to persist. He is allowing the, the nation, the kingdom of darkness... To continue, but there will come a time when he begins to reign in a new way, wherein there will be no wicked nation, there will be no wicked kingdom of darkness. It will all come to an end. There will only be one kingdom. Violence against his bride will cease. There will be no trampling upon the holy city. The saints under the altar will no longer be praying, Oh God, holy and true, how long? They will never again ask, How long, O oh Lord? How long, O oh Lord? consummation the completion of the kingdom of god of the kingdom of god will begin and there and to his kingdom there will be no end there will be only one kingdom now we believe there is only one kingdom we believe that right but there is another kingdom that is opposing this kingdom but there will come a time when that dark kingdom will be destroyed it's no wonder why again 
There is loud voices in heaven. It's no wonder why, again, they fall down and worship. It's no wonder why a declaration of thanks comes forth from the lips of the multitude that no one can count. Now, how does this seventh trumpet coincide with the seventh seal? The scene of 144,000. The peoples of all nations crying with a loud voice, salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. How do they connect? Are we seeing what happened in the 144,000 and that great multitude? Are we seeing two different pictures? In Revelation is given to us, or seven, is given, is, is giving us a view of heaven, of glory, right? Well, what is Revelation 11 doing? Is this another time? I hope that that makes sense. What about in the seventh bowl, when every tear is wiped from the eyes, and saints are being guided to the springs of the water of life? Is that a different moment? What about the hallelujah course in Revelation 19? We will all sing a, a chorus of hallelujah to God. And there will be a rejoicing as, as the, the lamb is joined to his bride. And they do celebrate a meal of consummation, which is called the, uh, the marriage supper of the lamb. We're getting all these different images and instances of things going on in heaven. Are they all separate events? That will happen in a chronological order. All of these are meant to be understood as happening. All the things that will happen when we are in heaven. When you see them all, you could take that which happens in seven, that which happens in eleven, that which happens in nineteen, and bring them all together and get a glorious picture of all that we will do in heaven. Some may say, what are we going to do there? Read those chapters. Close your eyes and praise God. We hear of all of these wonderful promises. Comfort for our suffering. That bring us joy. And that anticipate a great celebration, yes? Yes? But you don't need to wait to celebrate. You don't need to say, when I get to heaven, then I'll celebrate. What's the Sabbath been given to you for? I'm wearing black, but this is not a funeral service. We've not come to mourn a death. We've come to celebrate life. We have come to celebrate with joy Victory that has been accomplished by our Christ on the cross. When we sing, instruments don't take our place to make melody. Melody comes from the depths of our soul. And it pours out of our mouths. What are the instruments that we use? They are the instruments that, that are plucked by the Holy Spirit of our heart. That pour forth praise from our lips. We need not wait to celebrate. You need not wait to be joyful one day. You and I have been saved by Christ. We should be the most joyful people on the face of the earth. Do we wrestle with difficult things? Of course we do. 
But our hope is ultimately not in them. If we place our hope in the finality of those things that are difficult, that we don't like, that are opposing our soul, that are persecuting our soul, if we place our faith in those things, then we are not looking under Christ. We're not fixing our eyes on the author and finisher of our faith. We're fixing our eyes on the thing that opposes our faith. And then there will be no joy then. But if you place your faith in Christ, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, then you will have reason to celebrate. You will have reason to have joy. Paul says, I wish you were like me, except for these chains. They're temporary, they're momentary, they're light afflictions. You're not in chains. I'm not in chains. I'm not in some prison somewhere. I just had a bad day at work. My kids won't go to sleep. My son Azariah, I'm talking about me, my son Azariah, he's having a hard time adjusting to his new room. That's not going to take my joy. I know that you and I deal, deal with difficult things. We do. I don't want to downplay the difficulty of life. But that's ultimately not where your hope is, is it? Your hope, your joy, your peace is found ultimately in the one who says, Peace I leave you, not as the world leaves you. My peace. Amen. It's been accomplished by Christ on the cross. Pastor Isaiah, beautiful sermon last week. The cross, the icon that was used to represent defeat and death has been transformed to represent now God's love for you and His victory over sin and death. 1 Corinthians 15, 15, 51, or 50, 15, 51, bear with me. Behold, I am telling you a mystery. We will not all sleep. But what we will be, but we will be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound. Paul says this. I'm, I wonder if he talked to John. Paul's saying we will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. At the last trumpet, you know that they both worship together in Ephesus. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on imperishable and mortal must put on immortality. But when the perishable puts on imperishable and this mortal puts on immorality, immortality, then we will become or be we. The, the saying that is written, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us Victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Is there not reason to celebrate then? We are anticipating perishable being replaced by imperishable, corruptible being replaced by incorruptible, mortality being replaced by immortality. Well, isn't that why you've been given the Lord's day? To afresh be reminded this world is not your home. That Christ, by His life, death, and resurrection, has defeated His enemy and ours. Death was a result of man's sin in the fall. When Adam sinned, all men fell. For in Adam, all men die. All die. All die. But in Christ, we all live. We are made alive. If you trusted in Christ, rejoice. You have victory over death. Death has no authority over you any longer. Sin that corrupted all mankind can, can no longer claim you. You are as sinless in Christ as the sinless one. Jesus 
shed the perishable to put on imperishable. And you and I will shed the mortal to put on the immortal. And when we gather for worship, we fall before our God who has conquered our final enemy. And we give thanks to Him. We're not gathering as those who have been conquered. We are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. We gather as those who are in Christ. Therefore, we must have joy. And it propels us throughout the rest of this week until Christ returns. This time of worship, it's your and my dress rehearsal for glory. It's your and my preparation. When we sing, we are joining those voices in heaven who are singing. When we give thanks to God, we join those who are presently giving thanks to God. When we gather as a holy nation, and as we will do later on in La Mirada, as a holy nation, we do so as the, the kingdom, the only kingdom that will stand when all other kingdoms and the kingdom is destroyed, the kingdom of darkness. In light of this, Paul says, therefore, my brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the works of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. All that you do for Christ, your family worship, your time of devotion, your reading, your praying, you're sharing the gospel with people who sometimes don't want to hear. You're sharing the gospel with people who do want to hear. You're living as an example on a daily basis. It's all not in vain. You're gathering for worship to hear God's word. You're rejoicing with the saints. You're encouraging one another. You're bearing one another's burdens. It's not in vain. It's not in vain. Be steadfast. Be immovable. Abound in the work of the Lord. As we wait for that glorious day, be resolute, be faithful, be unmoved. Amen. Times are going to be difficult and increasingly difficult. Be steadfast and immovable. You will be persecuted and maybe already are. Be steadfast and immovable. Amen. You will be opposed by friends and family. A man's enemies will come from his very own household. Be steadfast. Be immovable. There will be times when you will be encouraged. There will be times when you feel discouraged. Be steadfast. Be immovable. Though we are being encouraged to, to look forward to a day when we will celebrate, don't wait to celebrate. Celebrate now. Rejoice now. There will be times when joy seems hard to achieve from an earthly vantage point. Know that all that you do for the Lord is not in vain. It's not meaningless. God is working in you an eternal weight of glory. Be steadfast and immovable. Rejoice. The day of the Lord is near. For people trust in Christ, it will be a day of wonder. Listen to this. This is the verse that I wanted you to, to turn to. Uh, verse 18 in closing. Nations were enraged. We'll get to that in a moment. Your wrath came in the time for the dead to be judged and the time for your reward, your bondservants, the prophets and the saints and those who fear your name. Listen to this. Your name, the small and the great. 
and to destroy those who destroy the earth. The nations, uh, the elders proclaim this. Nations were raged. Your wrath came. They were judged. The time for your reward has also come. Again, the, the quoting of Psalm 2. Why are the nations in an uproar? Why do they rage? And the peoples devising a, thi- a vain thing to oppose God. It's vain to oppose God. The kings of the earth take their stand. And the rulers take counsel against, against the Lord and against His anointed Christ, saying... Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. The nations foolishly rage against God. They gnash their teeth at the, gnash their teeth at the Creator. The consequence of their violence against God, against their wrath against God, is God's wrath against them. Mankind raged against God. It literally means they wrath or were wrathful against God. And in effect, they stored up wrath for themselves. The elders say, your wrath came. They are announcing judgment has come. It's the final judgment. The elders declare that the day of God's judgment, when the seventh trumpet comes, will not come, but it has come. In Revelation 20, in closing, John sees a general resurrection of the righteous and the wicked. The dead were judged according to what was written in the books according to what they have done. And all those found guilty without the blood of Christ to cover them are thrown into the lake of fire. This is the the hailstorm and the earthquake, the lightning and the thunder. Some will be raised to eternal life and they will receive rewards. Is it only for the prophets who receive rewards? That's what I wanted to get to. Do only prophets receive rewards? Do only uh, the most um, venerated saints, to use a Roman Catholic word that we don't agree with, do, do only those venerated receive rewards? John makes it clear, the small, the small and the great. You're not a pastor, a preacher, a prophet, an evangelist, You're not the keynote speaker at a conference. You're not desired. They're not calling you. Come and speak to us. Are there any rewards for you? I just go to work. I shepherd my wife if you have one. My kids if you have one. I'm a faithful single in my church, just loving God in my church. Are there any rewards for you? John says, yes. The small and the great. Those who are highly esteemed and those who are not. By worldly standards, God says, there is a reward for you as well. There's a place for you as well. Do not think that your rewards will be small. No. If you are a faithful believer in Christ... Your reward is great in heaven. We may discuss rewards at a later de- later day, but listen to these rewards. Being known by God and knowing Him. Being given salvation, eternal life. Being given the right to the tree of life. A name that is etched in the temple of God that will never be removed. 
a crown of glory, a place to reign with Christ, white robes that are purified from sin. We could go on and on and on of all the rewards that are ours in Christ Jesus. But there is no reward for the wicked. Those who rage against God will suffer eternal conscience torment in hell. They will receive flashes of lightning, peals of thunder, earthquake and hailstorm of God's judgment. How can one escape that judgment? Psalm 2.11 Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Pay homage to the Son. Kiss the Son that He may not be angry with you and you perish in the way. Turn to Christ and you will be saved. Let us pray.